I, uh, I love that last song because there's that, there's that time where, where Carly's holding a note uh, and then the drums come in uh, because as I see that song, as I sing that song, I envision being a part of the band, uh, but not just any part of the band. I envision being Matt the drummer. And, and, and can you imagine uh, if I was up here worshiping with drumsticks? Like, I, I should be part of the band. I consider myself to be a drummer. Uh, but, but this, but this if, if I was worshiping with these in my hands, Ava no longer attends Wellspring. She, she's like, that, that would not go well for her. I'm all over the place. Uh, but I do consider myself to be a drummer. If, if you walked in here, this is the first time that you've ever been here, and maybe you were watching me during worship. I, I'm going around, Carly does that long beat, and then I, I nail that beat every single time. And I could convince you that I am a drummer. But you know what? My dad never taught me how to be a drummer. He didn't model that for me. Uh, I'm on some Facebook pages uh, called Sucky, Sucky Pastors That Don't Know How to Drum, uh, and they show me all the time how to be a drummer, but I don't really know how to, how to, I don't know how to drum. Like when I get behind a drum, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, because this, to me, sounds fantastic, but it's a bunch of crazy, annoying noise to you, but a good drummer does this. And no, no, it's annoying and offensive that somebody has that skill set. Uh, thank, thank you, Matt. You, you, can, you can sit down. Like, like I said, uh, yeah, and never come back. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> my, dad, my dad didn't model this for me, and so I don't really know how to drum, but I can pretend drum. And, and uh, I can be part of some social media groups that might have some drummers on it, but if they don't actually know how to drum, I don't actually know how to drum. And I think this is true when it comes to the subject of love. I want to be a loving person. I want to be a lover as I am a drummer. And, and sometimes we grow up in homes that don't model love for us, and so we don't necessarily know how to be a lover that is the desire of our heart. We might, we might be on social media, and we might see the word love thrown around our society all over the place. You, you can search this on your social media, and you will find love to be, that's thrown around all over, all over the place. We have a society saying love, love, love all over the place. We, uh, part of the voice, uh, a few seasons ago, somebody was, was uh, doing a guitar, singing a whole bunch of stuff, whatever it was, and he, he got down to the camera, and he, he put his hand out in front of the camera, and the word love was written on his hand, and the place goes crazy. Our society is in love with the concept of love, but they don't define love as God defines love. They love love. But are we more unified? Are we more loving? Are we kind? Or is our version of love noise to God? This is where Paul goes, Paul goes with this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, what we're going to be looking at today, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so to remove mountains, but I have not love, what am I? Nothing. If I give all that I have, uh, and, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, uh, and I have not love, I gain nothing. Paul looks at, he's going to describe to us now the definition of love. And he sees the same problem that you and I can see in our society today. We have people throwing around love, 
But he's talking to a church in the Corinthians, uh, in, in Corinth, that doesn't actually know what love is. They're defining it wrong, and so they're acting wrong. He, he has a group of people that he says, they're speaking, they're talking the talk of love. But it's a whole bunch of annoying noise because they're not doing anything about it. They're, he's talking to a group of people that have, have faith, they have understanding, but they're lacking love. And what is it? It's nothing. It's all for naught. It's all a bunch of annoying noise. He talks about generosity, giving, giving, giving. I think he mentions, to, he alludes to two sides of it, and we value generosity. We serve a generous God. I want to be generous because of my God. So he gets that. I can be generous. I can be loving with my generosity. But if I do it with the wrong attitude, it's for naught. If I do it to say, look at me, it's for naught. But then there's also, Paul's alluding to people that can be generous, that, that can claim to talk a big game, loud noise of generosity, but they give more to their Netflix account than to the mission of the church. And what does that become? A bunch of noise. See, our big thought for this, for this morning is to, is to correctly define love to be correctly defined by love. I want, as an individual, to be a loving person. That means if I want to be a loving person, I have to understand love correctly. If I want our church, if we want God's people to be defined by love, don't we have to define love correctly? And so that is what Paul does. Nothing about what we're going to look at here in a second that Paul says is easy. When I see love on social media, it seems like anybody can do it. It seems like, oh, everybody, like this person, like nothing seems so easy, doesn't it? But when Paul describes love, this isn't going to erupt and we're going to have ooh, uh, emotions ro ro roaring out of us this morning. It's going to hit us because real love, God-centered love, true mostly in mainly in marriage, often in marriage, is hard. It's not easy. So here's what I want to do. Can we all stand up? Uh, stand up. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read his definition of love. I want us to say this out loud together. Let's do this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we say, amen. You guys can have a seat. So he's describing what he just said was there's a whole lot of noise. If you want to make noise, you're going to do the opposite of all that. So I, today I want to break those up into three, three groups. We'll talk about each concept just very, very briefly. And I want us to think about, are we making noise in this area or is this true of us? So here's the first section. Love is going to be defined as by patience, by kindness. It's not going to be defined by envy. It's not going to be defined by boasting. It's not going to be defined as arrogance. So he says, a, a loving person, if you want to correctly define love, then you have to be a patient person. Why? Because a noisy person, a person making a whole lot of noise about love, but doesn't follow it up with action, is going to rush in. A person that isn't patient is going to be reactionary. He's speaking to a group of Greeks, and the Greek mindset is, if you wrong me, and I allow time to elapse between getting you back, the longer I allow time to go, the weaker I look. For me to be a strong person, you wrong me, and I'm going to wrong you as soon as I can. But that's not Christ-like. Christ was patient with us, was he not? Wasn't Christ slow to anger, abounding in love? He's patient with us. 
And so if I, want, if I don't want to make a lot of noise when it comes to love, I, I, need, to, I need to be patient as, as Christ was patient. And then, and then he gets that, well, if we, if, we want to be, if we don't want to be noisy with our love, then we are, should be kind. Because selfishly, selfishly, I'm a jerk. Selfishly, I'm not a kind person. How can a Christian claim to be loving that's simultaneously a jerk? Like those two things can't go hand in hand. We're supposed to be sweet to all people. This is, this is the opposite of patience. Patience is sitting back and not being reactionary. Well, true love is also going to be kind where I'm actively seeking the goodwill of others and for the goodwill of others. I'm pursuing them. I'm serving them. I'm being generous to them. This is what God was for us. And where's the best test of kindness? Is it not in the home? When, when, when your spouse is driving you nuts, does your spouse know you to be a kind person? When your kids are being kids, do your kids know you to be a kind person? If you're a brother or a sister, or if you're a son or daughter in the home, do they know in your home, do the people around you know you to be a kind person? If they do, then you're probably a loving person. Then, but then he goes to envy. This one, this one hits me hard, that love is not going to be defined by envy. If we're envious of people, then we're making, we're making a whole lot of love noise. But we're not actually loving people. What, what, is, what is it to be envy? To, to be envious is, is to want what other people, to make people, uh, to be jealous of what other people have. Love and jealousy are mutually exclusive terms. They can't go hand in hand. How can I be jealous of other people? Jealous of their popularity, popu uh, of their success, of their talent. A loving thing to do is to be glad for them. I'm in, I circle Christian circles. I'm on social media. I can see people with a big platform on the name of Jesus saying a whole lot of things for Jesus. And I find them to be jerks. I don't like them. I can become envious of their platform. You know what, as a Christian, our attitude is that's a loving attitude? To say, the messenger isn't as important as the message. If I don't like the messenger, but I love the message, then I don't have any room to be envious. And I'm glad for them when the message is of great importance. There is no room for envy when it comes to love. But then, but then Paul goes on to say, well, well, love is also not boastful. Because selfishly, we, we lack humility. Selfishly, we, we make life all about us. We boast in love. We, we boast and we parade our actions of love in front of other people. This is the opposite side of envy where I'm jealous about other people. This is, this is the opposite. Where I'm parading love around to make other people jealous. I love that they want what I have. How is that Loving. That is, that, is, that is not loving at all. We have nothing to boast about when, when we have Jesus. We, all we have to boast about is Jesus. We have nothing in ourselves to boast about. When I have Jesus as the center point, I brag on my, on my Jesus. I don't make myself the center of the universe. I brag on my Jesus. So, so that, that doesn't room. And then, then the last one is arrogance. This is when boasting has become a part of your being. Because again, when we make love just a bunch of clanging, annoying noise, then we make ourselves the center of the universe. We lack complete humility. And we focus in on our own importance. Here's a quote from Napoleon. Now you tell me if this sounds like a loving quote. Napoleon said, I am not a man like other men. The laws of morality do not apply to me. Does that sound like a loving statement? No, it sounds like an arrogant jerk. <laughs> And so we wouldn't look at that as a loving statement. 
Great men never think of their own importance. Arrogance is, is, is big-headed where love is big-hearted. And that is where you and I should be going as Christians that are loving people. So I, I look at this list, and we, you and I, we should pause and look at this list and think about the most important relationship, earthly relationship in our lives. Where, what is lacking and what needs to change? For me, when I look at this list, they all convict me, but the one that convicts me the most is envy. Because I, Ava and I, she, she goes out for girls sometimes. She hangs out with friends. And to her credit, she likes to do it after 8 o'clock when she knows I'm already in bed. But sometimes her girls' nights impact me. And I get envious of that because I'm a pastor. I am out every Monday night. I'm out every Wednesday night. I have meetings sometimes on a Tuesday, meetings sometimes on a Thursday. I'm out a lot in the evenings. That's my time away from the house when I'm working. Now, Ava goes out for a girls' night, and I can sit back, and I can be like, well, it must be nice to get a girls' night out. It must be nice to go hang out with your friends. I'm always working on my nights out. How selfish, how much of a jerk statement is that? And when I step back and call it what it is, envy, I look back, and I think, you know what, Jason? Do you really want to go out with the dudes? You hate spending money. Do you really want to go out and spend a whole bunch of money doing stupid stuff? No! You like to sit on the couch and watch ESPN. So the fact that she goes out at 8 o'clock and you get to fall asleep watching ESPN is a great thing. So that convicts me that I need to stop being a big old jerk. Then the next list, the next set of things is, is love isn't going to be defined by rudeness. It's not going to be defined by insisting its own way. It's not going to be defined by being an irritable per person. It's not going to be defined by, defined by being resentful. It's not going to be defined by rejoicing in wrongdoing. These are a whole lot of things that love will not be defined as. Because when we're rude, what are we not? Kind. So when we're rude, we're making a whole lot of noise about Jesus, about whatever we're making noise about, that we're such a loving person, but I'm a rude person. I don't give two, two craps when I go and I fart or I burp or I make you feel uncomfortable because I am so rude, no one wants to be around me. And then it comes time to share Jesus. And I'm the rudest person in the room. No one's going to want to hear what I have to say about the love of Jesus when I'm not courteous, when I'm not polite, when I show that I don't give a rip about the people around me. Love is, is much more than being gracious and considerate, but it is never less. He goes on and says it doesn't insist on, on its own way. Because again, when we're making a bunch of a love noise, when we make love noise, I insist on putting myself as the center of the universe. I insist on, on, on making this all about me, my wants, my desires. How in the world can we as a humanity coexist if every single person in this room is seeking one thing, the me, seeking one thing, I get mine. I get what I'm going after because at some point, your will and my will is going to be in conflict with one another. At some point, somebody has to be loving and not insist on his or her own way. And this is the broken nature of humanity where we want to put ourselves at the center and no longer have God at the center. How can we love God when we see ourselves at the center of the universe? And when we don't get our own way, don't we become irritable? You make a lot of noise, a lot of loving noise when you're an irritable person. I make a lot of noise when I say, Ava, I love you, but here's a list of things that I find annoying about you. Here's a list of things that make me angry. Here's a list of things like when, when I tell somebody I love them but then, and then keep getting angry at them, do they feel my love? This, this word irritable communicates a sudden, a sudden outburst. 
where, where they're easily provoked to anger. This is, this is like, okay, oh, I lose my temper, but it's just for a second. So is a nuclear bomb. <laughs> a nuclear bomb gets dropped and it explodes and it lasts a matter of seconds, but it leaves a wake of damage in its backdrop. And so then we become resentful. <laughs> to be resentful is to, it's just to make a lot of noise about love where, where, where we're resentful. We're not forgiving. I, don't, I, I love you, but I'm never going to forgive you. I love you, but I'm going to make it my life's mission to always punish what you have done to me. How is that at all a loving approach? This, this, this resentfulness gets at, gets at, it's an accounting term in, in the Greek where we keep a list of wrong after wrong after wrong where I can say, said person, here's every single way that they have wronged me. I keep it in my memory. I live in that evil. I allow it to hold grudges. I allow it to consume me instead of learning to forgive give. This is one of the hardest lessons as a Christian. Learning the art of what to forget and let go of. It's hard as a Christian. It's a whole lot easier when we take a selfless approach. And the one that I think society is at odds with us the most when it comes to our definition of love is this last one. It's not going to be defined by rejoicing in wrongdoing. We make a lot of love noise when we look at somebody and say, you do you. Because we're not guiding them to Jesus when we say that. We're not guiding them to truth. When we see somebody that's in a relationship that we know is wrong, that we know is not for the best, that we know is not holy as God is holy, what, what, what can we do? We, we can say, well, we still want that friendship, so I'm, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like their post when they're in that relationship that's not good. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say you, you two are great together. Are they? No. And so we rejoice in what is wrong, and we mislead the person and ourselves. How will we ever guide people to truth if we don't lovingly show them what truth is? And we as Christians have to find a much better way of doing this. We have to focus this one on good. If I know that I'm at odds with something and something that they're doing is wrong, I, I don't have to focus necessarily at the wrong to start our relationship. I can find things that are good about them and celebrate the good, but dare I never go to the place of celebrating their wrong because it breaks the heart of God and it should break our heart as well. What grieves God in ourselves and in others should grieve us as well. How can we go to the place of saying, you do you or this is so good no and so when i look at this list and i look at it and I say okay what what do i need to improve upon if i am not a christian i if i i think i would be consumed with resentfulness and here's a clip that i think illustrates what my life would be like as a non-christian see whenever art screws up instead of getting mad and shoving it in her face i just deposit it into this handy file the bank <laughs> The bank? That's right. Then when I screw up, I withdraw one of her old screw-ups to neutralize her anger. That seems kind of petty and manipulative. Thanks. Great. You didn't mail that check, and now there are no more spots left in the class. Bet you never forget to mail a check to the Beer of the Month Club, do you? First of all, I have that on auto-pay. And... You know, I said I was sorry, and... People forget things. I mean, just by way of random example, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you forgot to return that Mamma Mia DVD, and by the time we found it in the couch cushions, we owned it. 
for 80 bucks. Well, that was... Similar incident? Sure. But I only bring it up to show that people aren't perfect. Well, that's true. I don't think I even got mad at you. No, you, you're actually pretty understanding. So, I guess this is like a teachable moment. If I had a nickel for every Redbox movie we purchased, uh, I would be I would be that person. But praise God for Jesus that I don't have to live in any one of these places. That God can show me what true love is, and I don't have to be any of those things. The next list is a whole bunch of things that love is. Love love re is going to be defined by truth, forbearance. It's going to be defined by belief. It's going to be defined by hope. It's going to be defined by by endurance. So we're not going to rejoice in wrong, and now we're going to rejoice in, in what is good. Uh, we don't want to, sometimes we're selfish in our love and we don't want to speak what is hard. We don't want to communicate what is hard in a loving way. And so we, we go about it and we, we don't do it. And when that does, we, we lie. We, we, we embrace lying. Love, love doesn't lie. But what, what love does is it's not going to compromise truth. It's going to emphasize good. We too often compromise our morality to say, you do you. No, we want to direct people to Jesus while emphasizing the good. But then love bears all things. Selfishly, we, we don't get to the point where we're going to protect people. Selfishly, we, we say, I love you, but I don't want what's best for you. I, I love you, but I'm going to throw you under the bus. I love you, but when I'm around the dudes, I'm going to throw my spouse under the bus, under the bus, under the bus. I don't want to protect them. That is, that is when we're, we're selfish. Love should know nothing of gossip. Love should mean that I'm never going to speak gossip. Love should mean I'm never going to entertain gossip because how perverse is it? When we take pleasure in other people's failures. How perverse is that state of one's being? Love never protects sin, but is anxious to protect a sinner. Love never protects sin, but is anxious to protect a sinner. Jesus did this with us. Jesus, when I was wrong, I had the wrath of God over my life. What did Jesus do? He came to the cross. He lived a perfect life, and he took my punishment. Isn't that love where I'm willing to step into somebody else's wrong and assume some wrath that is meant for them? Why? Because love bears all things and is protective above anything else. It believes all things. We make, we make a whole bunch of noise when we start from a place of dis trust. When I say, I love you, but I don't trust anything about you, that is not a loving statement. No, a true loving statement is not going to be suspicious. It's not going to be cynical. If I don't feel your trust, I don't feel your love. Love believes the best of all the possible solutions, all the possible things that could be a part of a situation. I'm going to believe the best possible outcome. My love is going to say, I consider a person innocent until proven guilty. My love is, is, is when, my, when, my, when my trust is broken, because I love a person, I'm going to hope to restore and, and to heal as quickly as, as can be. My love is going to hope all things. We make a lot of noise when we are cynical and saying that this, this person can't possibly change. We, we, we don't hope. When, when love runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. Did Jesus give up on Peter? He kept pursuing Peter, even after, the, even after that night where he denies him three times. And so, and so where, where our hope becomes weak, we know that our love has become weak. And then he, he wraps it all together and says that, that love is going to be defined by endurance. Selfishly, we make a whole lot of noise when we give up. When we say, this person is no longer worthy of my love. Or this person has just done me so dirty, I will never love them. Love holds fast to those it loves at all costs. 
when, 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 when we're running out of options, when life is overwhelming us, love won't stop loving. And so love bears what is otherwise unbearable. Love believes what is otherwise unbelievable. It hopes what is otherwise hopeless. And it endures where anything less than love would give up. And so I want to endure with Ava. I'm going to invite Ava up here. I'm also going to invite Graham up here. Uh, I, want, I want to endure with Ava. She is my wife. She is the one that I'm going to endure with. And, and, to, and, and when I think of my earthly relationship where I need to, to, to define love and really embrace love, it's, this is the premier earthly relationship that I get to do that. And so I've invited Graham up here. Graham oversees our social media. And so we asked in one of our groups, uh, if you could ask Ava and I any question uh, about marriage, what would you, what would you ask? Uh, and so one of the questions Graham will not be asking is if Ava and I are going to have, uh, can we make some more babies? Uh, that shop has closed, not, and we're not, not going to make happening. any more babies. Uh, no. So that won't be asked, but thank you for whoever asked that one. Uh, but what are the three we do want to tackle? Cool. You ready? Yeah. Do this? Ready. Cool. So when you guys think about your younger selves being freshly married, what's an area that, or a couple areas that you would stress less over? Because we were young. Okay. Really young. <laughs> and now, still young. <laughs> <laughs> so what won't you stress over? Um, so, for me, um, we talk about Enneagram a lot, and I am, Jason and I are very different people, very different people in the way that we handle everything, including and especially fighting. Um, I want to handle it right away. We've got to talk about it. we got to deal with it, and we got to just handle it. He needs time. He needs time to just talk about his feelings in his head and, like, deal with it. So for me, I have realized. <laughs> it's a little game um, up here. You never know. Um, I have, over the years, I just realized that by talking and dealing with it right away and trying to force the conversation, it just causes a way bigger problem than if we could would have just taken the time to breathe and handle it and come back together in a more rational place. And so I wouldn't stress as much about trying to, like, it right away. I would tell my younger self not to allow uh, Ava's stress to consume me. Uh, and that sounds harsh, but Ava is like if you're into the Enneagram stuff or whatever, like disc thing or INAEF, whatever, whatever you get to, Ava is somebody that, that goes to an anxious place very quickly uh, and a stressful place very quickly. And, and so like I've learned like early on when we would talk, I would take on her stress. I would live in that place and, I, and it would only further it. It would only fuel it. And so I, I, I would tell my younger self, like, realize this. Don't live in her stress, but, but move her closer to, to reality into a, in, into a safer place. So. Yeah, he's not saying I do stress a lot. So. Right, of course. He's course. not saying any lies. <laughs> okay, so we talked about things that stress us. What about things that you would invest more time into? Yeah, so I think just naturally investing into each other um, – um, and making that a priority. I heard one time or heard a speaker one time say that, you know, if you have kids, at the end of the day, one day, God willing, your kids will move out and then it will just be the two of you. And, you know, how well do you know each other? How much are you still in love with each other? And are you going to have to re-get to know each other all over again? And how is your relationship going to be when it's just the two of you left at the end of this? So um, just investing that time and getting to know the person. We talk a lot about Enneagrams and just knowing who that person is. And then, you know, of course, like, you know, investing in the adult things, the okay. marriage things that are fun. We weren't so. going to, we weren't going to, okay. Uh, I would, um, I would invest uh, more time. Uh, I don't even know what I was going to say for this one now. Uh, 
I would invest more time uh, that Enneagram stuff, getting, getting to know one another. Uh, and, and I think that was important earlier on in that uh, I kind of lived in some, in some places where I, like, I needed to embrace, like, when, when, if I know Ava goes to an anxious place, when I know that when stress comes, like, the whole world is falling apart. So when we would fight, I would get to the place, place in the middle of a fight, like, are we, are we getting divorced? Like, is our house burning down? Like, did some, like, did, was there a car accident? Like, what's going on? Uh, and I had to, like, say, okay, no, Ava goes to these places naturally, and I need to realize that, and I get to help her by saying, no, let's, let's guide more towards, like, what reality is, what is truth. Like, let's, get a, let's take a step back and see this a little bit better and then have a healthy conversation. Uh, secondly, I, I would invest more time into our, our own personal times with Jesus uh, because I have to give my best to my wife and to my family, uh, and that is, that's a challenge. Uh, because I, I get drained very easily. But when I go in the morning, uh, before my kids wake up, before even Ava wakes up, and I go to Jesus and, and go to his word and allow his word to fill me up, allow through prayer and his spirit to fill me up, then, then I'm able to give to Ava, I'm able to give to my family, not from an empty cup, but from a cup that's overflowing with the presence of Jesus. And that's a, that's a better gift to my family. So when my kids wake up wanting a sippy cup, my cup is filled to, to be able to give it to them and not be annoyed by, by their requests. So. Cool, cool. Okay, so the final question, um, part of relationships, especially marriage, is hurt is going to happen, right? So how do you communicate your hurt without criticizing and doing it in a spirit of like love and forgiveness? Well, just a little disclaimer. First of all, I'm not perfect at this at all, so still work in progress. But um, like Jason said, you know, prioritizing our relationship with God. And so a couple years ago, Jason and I really made that a priority and just um, spending that time in the mornings and really just focusing on that in the morning so that we can be centered the rest of the day and have everything else centered around that. So when we do fight and when we do have those struggles, it's taking that time to just like go away by ourselves give that to God, ask God, pray for and beg for wisdom to handle the situation. How am I wrong in this situation? Where do I need to apologize and own my wrong? And then we can come back together to a place where we cannot communicate and hurt and just our rash feelings and anger. So giving it to God and begging for wisdom through mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I would simply echo that because I, I am by nature uh, resentful. I am by nature really not patient. Uh, by nature, when I see a wrong, I want to deal with it right then and there. Uh, and oftentimes, like if Ava has wronged me, like on a Monday Monday afternoon, uh, I really the best me is the one that's going to go uh, Tuesday morning, spend some time with Jesus, and Jesus has a way of showing me, like, well, Jason, you, you're focusing on this, but what about this, this, and this that you did? Uh, and it kind of breaks down my spirit to be a little bit softer, uh, and allows me to remove the log that is in my eye. Uh, it also shows me oftentimes when I go to prayer to start a conversation with Ava is is, you know what, like, I'm, I'm kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm seeing something that is really small, making it a big thing. And through prayer, I'm like, God just is telling me, Jason, let, let love cover a multitude of sin and don't, don't make this a big deal. Uh, just move on from it. And, uh, and so I, I would just echo that. Like, t bringing it to Jesus before bringing it to you uh, saves us from being jerks to one another. So, cool. All right, Graham, I'll let you, I'll let you go. Uh, and then, yay for Graham. Yay. All right. Uh, this is, this is what we talked about. Here's, here's the point. So I want us to think about these as, as we close up our time. Love is defined by patience. Love is defined by kindness. Love isn't going to be defined by envy. It's not going to be defined by boasting. It's not going to be defined by arrogance. 
Love isn't defined by rudeness. Love isn't defined by insisting on its own way. Love isn't defined by irritableness. Love isn't defined by resentfulness. Love isn't defined by rejoicing in wrongdoing. But then it is defined by truth. It is defined by forbearance. It is defined by belief. It is defined by hope. And it is defined by endurance. So when you see a list like that, we want to correctly define love to be correctly defined by love. This should be important in all of our relationships. Every earthly relationship really does matter. And so what's the most important relationship in your life? Earthly relationship. For many of us in this room, it is a marriage. And that's what, we, that's what we've applied this to today. But really, Paul is writing this to all relationships. So all of our relationships can be unified around this concept of love. So when you think about a relationship that's missing some of these characteristics, what is missing? And what will you, what will you do about it? As a person and as a church, I want us to matter. I want us to be relevant. And you know what? Christ mattered. Christ was relevant. And you know what Christ was defined by? Love. And so if I want to be relevant, if I want to matter, I want to be defined by love. First John talks about how God is love. He'll go on, John will go on to say that, that we get to know love because we know Jesus and what he did on, on the cross. John will go on to say that if, you, if those that walk like, those that, that, um, those that claim to live in Jesus will walk like Jesus. Abide in me and then you'll walk like me is the concept that John talks about. So if Jesus, whatever defines Jesus, according to John, should define you and I. Paul will go on to say, and, and walk in love as Christ gave, loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. So if love defined Christ and if we are to live like Christ, shouldn't the definition of love also define us? And so what I want to do is I want to close out our time by reading this again. Uh, but I want us to put our name in, in where, where we see love and where I want the, the, correct, the correct pronoun when it says like his or her or whatnot. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get and so in a second, and so when, it's, when you see your name up there, I'm, not, I'm asking you not to be a junior higher and say your name, like to actually say your name. I'll be saying the name Jason uh, and the right pronoun for you. But could you guys stand up? Could we commit together that if, if love defines Jesus, that we're going to commit to allowing love to define us as believers in Jesus Christ. And so let's read this together, putting your name or whatnot in the place. Jason is patient and kind. Jason does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jason bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so here's my challenge to you guys as we leave this place. Be a loving lover. If I want to be a good drummer, I'm going to go and I'm going to drum. I'm going to practice. I'm going to work on things I'm not good at. There are things today that are a world of conviction for some of us. I'm not asking you to leave here and nudge your spouse. Did you hear what the pastor said? <laughs> to tell your kid, did you hear what the pastor said? You've been No, because that is not a loving approach. A loving approach is to hear what has been said today and say, I need to do something about it. So this week, I'm challenging you to be a loving lover to the relationship that is of great importance to you at work, in a friendship, in a marriage. Apply this to that space. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this Sunday. Lord, I thank you that we get to come here and not define love the way the world defines love. Lord, the way that the world is defining love is not leading us 
to, the, to your throne. The way that the world would define love leads us away from you. The way that the world loves is all a bunch of noise, Father. As a human, as a church, Father, I am sick with being noisy. <laughs> I want to have impact. And I want to matter. I want this life to matter, Jesus. So, Father, as a church, we leave here committed to being a people of love, not only in word, but also in action. And may that be true in our relationships. So, Father, wherever you tugged on the individual lives of the people in this room, would we leave here committing to making those areas better, to walk as you walked, to love as you love, and to be defined as you have been defined. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your powerful name we say, Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Tom's River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.